Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kichanu b'mitzvotah v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Ve'harev na Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torah teka b'finu ufi amka b'tisrael. Ve'nie anaknu v'za etzainu v'za etzae amka b'tisrael. Kulanu yodea shemeka ve'lom de Torah teka lishma. Baruch atah Adonai ham lamed Torah le'amo Yisrael. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Yehi tekiat hametim bimhera ve'yamenu. Amen. May it be soon in our days that there is the resurrection of the dead. Mm, everybody who fallen asleep, wake up. All right, so this is the week of Parsha Kitisa. And what I have come to find out is that this correlates to the Agarit to the Romans, the letter to the Romans, chapter 5 and verses 12 through 19. So that will officially be this podcast for the Agarit to the Romans this week. I have been very, very kind of back and forth on the uh, the schedule for this. But as we're going through the tour portions, I think it's very organic to go ahead and put the sections of the letter to the Romans with the parsha as information is coming available as another point, not that it's really necessary to show that Shaul was teaching Torah and nothing new in the New Testament is totally a thing. So in chapter five, verses 12 through 19, it's talking about how sin entered into the world through one man and righteousness and eternal life enters into the world through the second one man and that one man being Adam. And so Adam in Hebrew literally comes from the word Adama, which is the word for earth because man was taken from the earth. If you know a little bit about Hebrew, you would see that Adama is a feminine word. So literally the first man was born of the feminine aspect and this was a virgin birth. So just want to point out the first Adam was born from a woman who had no input from the man. And so there you go. It was all the Shekinah of Hashem, the spirit of Hashem um, coming forth onto the earth and, you know, the spirit of Hashem coming forth onto Miriam and out pops Adam. So the first Adam and the second Adam both have virgin births. This is why patterns and uh, seeing all of that flow through consistent as Hashem is, is very crucial. Next up, when we go through the sources, the first thing that I want to just read is from Sephorno. He is quoting on 19.6 of Shemot. So let's read Shemot 19.6. And get back to Sephorno. Obviously, a giant ra- rabbi trail is about to happen right now. Here we go. Shemot 19.6. So as for you, you will be to me. Say to me. Okay, because it's important to note, who are we living for? Do we live for ourselves, Or do we live for other people? Or anything like that? 
The answer is we live to the me, which is Hashem. Literally, because Hashem is talking to us right now. He's saying, so you will be to me. A kingdom of Kohanim, people who serve, people who are not about themselves, people who sacrifice on a daily. And it says, and a holy nation. You shall be Goy Kodesh. You shall be a conglomeration of people who are centered, who are con uh, congealed in what's called holiness. Okay. Holiness in the word of Hebrew is kadosh. And so we're going to learn a little bit about that from Sephorno. So hang on to that word. Going on, it says, these are the words which you are to speak to B'nai Israel. Now, you need to know that that is conditional upon us keeping to the voice of Hashem, like being obedient to the commandments, listening to him, being in relationship with him, all of the above, because you can't have the commandments of Hashem without the relationship, and you can't have the relationship without the commandments. Contrary to what's popularly taught today, that is a true statement. Again, if you're in a relationship with someone and you just do the, you know, all of the responsibilities or duties of that relationship without having a relationship, i.e. you don't talk to them, you don't, you know, get to know them, but you're doing all these duties, guess what you're going to have? Nothing. Or if you're in that relationship and you're like, oh, I know you so much, da, 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 but you never do anything that you know that they like, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Just just think about that because Hashem is treated like that a lot. It's like, I know Hashem like loves holiness. I know Hashem loves us to be one with him. And I know Hashem wants us to abide in his Messiah and believe in his Messiah. But yet, where, it, where does the rubber meet the road? Where does the spirituality make it into the physical? So there's that. First Kepha, first Peter 2 9, because Kepha repeated this. It's important to note this was the era of the repeaters, which is called Tanaim, the Tanaic period. So these people who existed during this time, which is the first few centuries, by the way, this is when Mashiach came on the scene, uh, as far as taking on flesh and tabernacling among us was during the period of the repeaters. So this is why nothing new in the New Testament is so amazing because it's all a repetition. Everybody repeated. So I think that's something that also should be taken to note. Next up. So he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, so you're a Malkut Kohanim, which is the same word used in Shemot 19.6, a kingdom of Kohanim. And then it says a holy nation, Goy Kodesh. There it is again, repeating. And it says a people for God's own possession, because why it says you will be to me. In 19.6 of Shemot, in Exodus 19.6, it says you will be to me. So you're my possession. Kepha adds on to this, though. He says, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I want you to get in your minds and your hearts right now the understanding that darkness has to do with sin. 
as far as what we were called out of. We were called out of sin. We were called out of darkness. That's going to come into play in about, hopefully not hours, but we'll see. Because there's a whole thing where when Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he became dark. So when Hashem calls us out of the dark, he calls us out of what was called sin. Because, you know, when Adam ate from the tree, that was sin. And that literally kicked us out of the garden. So, and he says, called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And this is why we need to know the light that we were consumed in, the garments or the crowns, the answer being both the garments and the crowns were one and the same that we were crowned with when we stood before Mount Sinai to receive the Torah. So the cross reference to this is from Yeshayahu 42, six that says, I Hashem called you in righteousness to take hold of your hand I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. So everything about us being a Malkut Kohanim and Goy Kodesh is at the help of Hashem holding our hand. Hence why we have to be attached to Mashiach, abiding in Mashiach, attached to the vine, planted in the word filled with the spirit, immersed in Messiah, immersed in water, you know, the water, the living water, take the mikvah, basically. All of that causes Hashem to take hold of us. So he takes a hold of our hand. We take a hold of his hand by those things. So if you're a person who studies the Torah portions, if you're a person who prays, if you're a person who does acts of kindness, you should just know that it's Hashem taking you by your hand. So the keeping us and guarding us like the priestly blessing, may Adonai keep you, may Adonai bless you, make his face shine upon you. You know, that one from Numbers chapter six. So yeah, that. That's what happens when we get involved in Torah, prayer, acts of kindness, when we meditate with Hashem, not the crazy Eastern mysticism meditation that people are normally seeing, but literally meditating. Like I'm sitting down with you, Hashem, I'm blocking out all things and I'm taking time to hear your voice, you know, recollect my thoughts, self-examination, Musar, all that kind of stuff. That's Hashem taking us by the hand. So what I decided was I want to look at what Art Scroll on Yeshayahu says in the commentary. Well, sure enough, they bring down Rashi, Ibn Ezra, Radak, Abarbanel, Radak, Rashi, Radak. Did I mention Radak? And then uh, Rabbi Schwab and, of course, more Radak. So. Let me just read it to you real quick. It says, I have called you, which is keratika, keratika, which means I've called you, based off the word kara, which is vayikra, and he called. The you refers to Yeshiyahu, which is Isaiah. He says, 
It also refers to the Messiah, also to Cyrus. And then it says, since this section is not a direct continuation of the previous section, the various interpretations of the person's identity are not necessarily the same as those of verse one. I will protect you is the commentary says, I will protect you from the root notes there which also appears in Parsha Kitisa this week, who uh, it's a part of the 13 attributes of Hashem. So yes, that's all about protection and guarding. And this word has an enlarged noon in it. All right, so the letter noon, the beginning of that word. Okay, also says, you from the nations that seek to harm you. Alternatively, the word Yotzer is form. And it says, accordingly, I formed you with the intention that you make a covenant to the people and be a light to the nations. So if you can kind of look at this multifaceted diamond that just got dropped in our face, when it comes to Isaiah, Isaiah is supposed to be a covenant to the people. So bringing people into the covenant. Mashiach brings people into covenant. Cyrus brings people into covenant. Us, Mashiach sent us out, Matthew 28, to go bring people into covenant. This is what's been missing in the world, and this is why there's so much confusion and darkness and chaos in the world. It's amazing how clarity comes when people just enter into covenant. The Bible becomes way more fluid and simple to understand and like even more in depth than you could ever possibly know. Going on, it says to be Leor Goyim, a light to the nations, i.e. the light of Torah that comes from Zion and is the light of Israel's existence will inspire the nations. So the only way for us to exist as Israel is by Torah. Torah is our existence. Torah is our light. We were called out of darkness into the marvelous light, which the marvelous light obviously is Torah. And so think about again in the garden before we lost our light and became naked. What does that mean? If we clothe ourselves in Torah, which is clothing ourselves in Messiah, taking off the old, putting on the new, all of that vernacular, that is saying we're putting our clothes back on, which is what we had in the gar garden, also what we had at Mount Sinai from the crowning and from the uh, being clothed in the splendor of Hashem's glory. So that's first up there. And then going on, it says, in the Messianic era, everyone, Jew and non-Jew alike, will be righteous. Telim 118.224, which calls upon people to acknowledge God's kindness, begins with Israel, continues with the house of Aharon, concludes with those who fear Hashem. There's a section in the letter to the Corinthians that I really wanted to actually do a whole series on because I wanted to do the Corinthian series before I did the Roman series. But it was like, no, you should probably do the Roman series because that's more crucial right now. And 
in the Corinthians, you'll find out that in that congregation, there's a group of people who are known as God-fearers, i.e. non-Jewish people who acknowledge God's awe, his authority, and his kingship in the world. Which means that these are people who are like just on the other side of conversion. Like the only difference between them and a Jew is the waters of the mikvah. So like, you know, Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, people like that. So God fears are not going to be people who are not necessarily not doing the Torah. They're actually going to be people who are Torah observant, but they haven't actually finalized conversion yet. So I guess a good term thrown around today is the Ger Toshav, the, the Ger Zadik, you know, or something like that. But you cannot be that kind of person today because the only way to be a Ger Toshav is to be in the land of Israel. And, uh, you know, there's a whole lot more to go into that because you have to have like Sanhedrin and stuff and they give you all the stipulations for that. We currently don't have any of that. So it's kind of hard to be a Geratoshav. And we're still in exile anyway. And I know there's the state of Israel that exists. And we do have parts of the land that we dwell in. But as far as it goes, as Israel's established, we don't have that yet. It's all in part right now. So even if you did say, well, I'm a Geratoshav in Jerusalem. Well, really, who owns Jerusalem? Because just put it out there to make it completely plain, simple, dr cut dry. You know, if Israel owned Jerusalem, there would not be the Dome of the Rock. There would not be a empty space where the temple is supposed to be built. Just saying, we, we, we don't own Israel. <laughs> we, ha we own parts of it. We're there, Baruch Hashem, we have holy sites re uh recaptured and things like that but we don't run it like we're supposed to so anyway the last statement it says the latter are all the people who have accepted god and his moral law for mankind that's from rabbi schwab so everybody up in there doing torah now so that is that so let's go to soforno he says goy kadosh means never to disappear from the stage of history. So you see how, first of all, people say the Torah is done away with, and yet the Torah is still active and existing today. And so is Israel. Even though we're in exile, we're still here. There's still Torah in the world. People try to get rid of it, but it still goes on. Because even if you don't observe the Shabbat, there's still a Shabbat happening. Even if you don't observe the rest of the Yom Tovs, like Pesach and Shabbat and Sukkot, those are still happening. Even if you don't read the Torah on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, called the Aliyah Day, shouts out to Rabbi Griffin. Come on! Uh, those are still happening. So just because you say Torah is done away with and we, we're not under the law anymore, you should probably go study Purim and you'll find out about under the law. It doesn't mean what you think it means. But anyway, uh, Esther chapter nine. All right. So anyway, it's all in the Bible. It's, it's so crazy. I told someone today, 
because they asked me how, how it was going. I said, man, we just finished pouring. So now we're on to Pesach. And that person was like, I have no idea what you just said to me. And I'm like, Esther chapter nine, Leviticus 23. That, that you know, like, I don't know. It, it's in there. So, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't say that to them. I haven't responded yet. So I've been kind of getting my thoughts together because it's kind of like, what what do you say to that? Because this person is also a proclaimed, self-proclaimed believer reads the Bible and stuff. I know they have a Bible. <laughs> so anyway, um, going on, it says you will continue forever to exist as one man. Come on now. Goy Kadosh means us living as one man. For those of you who are already jumped ahead of the ship and have pulled the ship, <laughs> As violent as y'all are, um, yeah, that means existing in Mashiach. This is how we have to be one in Messiah. All have to be immersed in Mashiach, exist in him. He's the mediator of the new covenant, which is renewed. It's the same covenant. It's not a new one. It's not a different one. That's because the only way for us to be completely kadosh, only way for us to be completely holy, is to be in Messiah. So, yeah, there's that. Again, this is Sephorno commenting on Shemot 19.6. He also goes on to say, as it will be in the distant future of which the prophet Yeshayahu and Yeshayahu 4.3 said, to those who survive in Zion and those who will be left over in Yerushalayim. Again, I just want to stop right there because people who don't want to be Jewish today, you're literally taking chances and risks for uh, the time to come, because it says to those who survive in Zion and to those who will be left in Jerusalem, it's like something is going to happen. And like the only people that are going to survive, you know, like those are Hashem's covenant people. And it's like, so you don't want to be in covenant with Hashem. You don't want to convert and do all that, you know, like it's kind of weird. Anyway, so don't let people jip you out of being in covenant. Everybody needs to know you have the opportunity to enter into covenant. That's why Messiah said, Matthew chapter 28, read it, do it, share it, like it on Facebook, repost it. Okay. So anyway, to those who survive in Zion, those who will be left over in Jerusalem, all those who are inscribed for life in Jerusalem shall be called holy the author is making the point that somebody called holy everybody say holy which is by the way the word in hebrew is kadosh so say kadosh is by definition immortal that's right you heard it the author is making the point that somebody called holy is by definition immortal. Eternal life much? And it says, our sages in Sanhedrin 92 describe this concept in the following words, just as he is holy, or just as he, the Holy One, is forever, so the Jewish people are forever. Just as he, the Holy One, is forever, so the Jewish people are forever. Let me ask you this. Do you want eternal life? Have you accepted 
what grants us eternal life, which comes through the word of God, and that was made flesh. So if you're taking the flesh without what the flesh embodies, that's kind of weird because it's like, whose flesh did you take? Did you take the right flesh or did you take some some other flesh? Because so many times people think Messiah is divorced from the word of God, which, by the way, is Genesis through Deuteronomy. That's a part of the word of God. That's the main part of the word of God called the Torah. If you take that away, you've taken away the existence of Messiah. Just like if you take the hydrogen out of oxygen, like the H2O complex, if you take the hydrogen out of that, you no longer have water. So just saying, if Messiah is the word of God that became flesh, you should probably grab a hold of the word of God because that's all wrapped up in the flesh of Messiah. So that's being a Jew. So if you have a problem being Jew, then you have a problem with being immortal. Going on, it says it has been God's or it had been God's intention to make the Jewish people immortal at the time of the revelation at Mount Sinai, giving them the status that Adam had enjoyed before he sinned. Alas, just as Adam had sinned and had become mortal and gone, he did the Jewish people sinned with the golden calf and suffered the same fate as the first man. The disaster is documented in Exodus 33, 6. The children of Israel had to divest themselves of their jewelry, which they had been given at Mount Horeb. I did a whole podcast about the garments of glory and the tent of Moses, and I put all of that drop in there. So now we're in the Agarit to Rome, chapter 5, verses, again, 12 through 19. Let's just go ahead and read them so that it's codified in this podcast. Keep all the information we just read because we put the commentary before the verse, but, you know, we already knew the verse because we mentioned all these concepts, but now we're just going to read it all in sync. So then, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, in the same way, death spread to all men because all sinned. Overlay Exodus chapter 33 on this because it, sin went away for a little bit because we did the whole Mount Sinai thing, Exodus 19, Exodus 24, and now we're in Exodus 33. And now we've sinned with the golden calf. And so now we're all back to the same thing that happened in the garden. Okay, so... Genesis 3 is the garden account. Exodus 33 is the second garden account. All right. So now line all that up. And it says, for up until the Torah, again, because the Torah was given in Parsha Yitro, uh, Exodus 19, Exodus 24, same account there, parallel. And okay, it says, so for up until that time, sin was in the world. So basically what Paul did not just say, but he said, because he didn't write it down, but what it means, he says that sin was in the world until the Torah was given. Because the dead were raised, the sick were healed, the blind were given their sight. This is from the Midrash says, and um, the lame were made to walk, the deaf were made to hear, and the mute were made to speak. 
all those things that Messiah did while he was ministering on the earth, all that happened in Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus 24. So all of that happened. No sin in the world that basically in the garden, we were completely healed, completely immortal in the garden. So that all happened. But it says, but sin does not count as sin when there is no law. Because outright the Torah was not revealed to all mankind. At Mount Sinai, it was all of the heavens and all of the dimensions of the earth were brought all together. And Hashem was like, I'm giving the Torah publicly. Here we go. So nobody has an excuse now. Everybody knew. Literally, if you read um, the account of the giving of the Torah, some of the commentary brings down the Midrash. Uh, Yakut Shimoni is one of them. Uh, even in Psalm 29 is another one that says the nations of the world came to their prophet because the nations of the world had one prophet, just like Israel had one prophet. We had Moses and the world was like, man, if we had a prophet, we would be holier than Israel. Hashem was like, really? OK, let me give you a prophet. I'm going to give you a prophet who can be on the same level and actually even greater than Moses if he wants to be. And that'll be Balaam. The one who rode the donkey and the donkey spoke to him and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that guy. So Balaam could have been higher than Moses, but Balaam was like so all about self-gratification, so all about the, the most lewd things you could ever possibly think about in your life. Master of sor uh, sorcery and witchcraft. His two sons for crying out loud were Janus and Jambres, as referred in Timothy, the writings uh, to Timothy that Paul did. That's the only time Janus and Jambres is written. But if you study the Torah, you'll find out Janus and Jambres fought Hashem at the, the parting of the Red Sea. They uh, fought with Moses and the palace of Pharaoh when the, the snake staff thing happened. Uh, they also conjured up all the magic ability to make the golden calf. That's just a few places. Uh, another place was in Ethiopia was when uh, the king of Ethiopia was going out to do battle and then ended up getting uh, dethroned by Balaam, Janus, and Jambres, a whole family affair. They took over the city, kept the king out. The king had to go to Moses and be like, hey, can you help us get our city back? Moses, after doing that, became the king of Ethiopia. So that's another thing. But um, Janus and Jambres created these giant flying serpents that were like pterodactyls to keep people from getting into the city. And that was just on one side. It was all four sides. They did different things to keep people out. But this one particular side, which Moses is like, that's the side we're going to take to get into the city and take them out. So everybody listen to me. I need y'all to go into the forest, go get these giant birds that eat these serpents, pterodactyl things. And then we're going to go through and get it, move out the snakes and scorpions and all that. And we're going to go up. Yeah. Moses was in charge of that. <clears throat> this is a whole lot of backdrop. You can find this in the writings of Josephus and you can find this in the legends of the Jews. So anyway, for those people who think legends of the Jews is not really a valid source, uh, they really do a good job of compiling a bunch of Midrash together. So anyway, um, 
Legend of the Jews is a kosher source, believe it or not. Because you know why? Truth is stranger than fiction. We can believe Hashem like came down and spoke from a mountain and there was lightning and people could see the sounds. And yeah, that's right. What is normally heard was seen. Yeah, that. We can we are cool with that, but if we hear about oh no, Janice and Jumber's creating the golden calf and the 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 gold um uh, that the people threw into the fire at Aharon's uh command, you know, the these these sorcerers over here did a little magic spell and then the, the gold turned into a calf that actually moved around and was eating grass, and some of the heir of Rav even gave it manna. So like we're not we're not okay with stuff like that because it's like well that's that's not anywhere I've heard before in my sources and it's like well it's in Legends of the Jews and it happened. I mean, if Jacob can wrestle with an angel from midnight till morning, which is a very long time, I'm sure Hashem can do anything, right? So like I don't know. Joseph was thrown into a pit that was, I don't know, at least 30 feet deep. And the pit was full of snakes and scorpions. Somehow he survived the fall. Somehow the snakes and scorpions didn't kill him. I'm just saying, Joseph was eventually taken out of that pit, sold into slavery in Egypt, and rose up to be the viceroy. So, I mean, come on, like, what are we talking about, you know, with with having this whole like, oh, I don't really know. That sounds like a movie like that can't be true. Don't do it. All right. Say no to nonsense. Keep moving. Here we go. Back to Rome. The the letter anyway, not to the Roman mindset says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. OK, so the reason why I swerved off and just to tie up that end was that you know it says that the there was no law in the world well the law was in the world the jews knew it uh people like adam people like noah people like oh i forgot enoch Slika, enoch methuselah uh noah his sons uh shem and noah's grandson ever and uh abraham isaac and jacob they all knew the whole Torah. It just wasn't public knowledge, which they went out to teach people the Torah the same way that the whole world does not know about the Messiah yet because they have yet to know the Messiah is Yeshua, not Jesus. So when people learn that the Messiah is Yeshua, then you can expect some things to happen. Until then, expect sickness, death, darkness, chaos, pandemonium in the world. Because again, you're not going to get anywhere not keeping the Sabbath, telling people not to do that and say that the Sabbath is moved to Sunday and we focus on all these other holidays that are nowhere in the Bible. So how are you really supposed to follow them? You know, so anyway, just to point that out, same way that Yeshua, the Messiah is not widely known back during this time period, from Adam until the giving of the Torah, the Torah was not widely and popularly known. Okay. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. You know, when Moses was born, he was born supernaturally because he was actually born early. So for the sake of hiding him for three months, 
that by the nine month period, he was already three months old and uh, his mother was able to actually hide him for another three months so that it was technically just a little over a year, you know, before she had to really put him in the basket. So, you know, it's just kind of like as far as the term of the pregnancy to the birth and the basket. So technically he was about six months between six months and a year old when he was put in the basket. So going out and then that's when Pharaoh's daughter found him and, you know, raised him up and stuff like that. So he was born light fill the room and uh, everybody was like, wait a minute, what? And he was walking around and talking like a youth. So that there's that. So it's like a supernatural birth that happened because Moshe was supposed to be the Mashiach the Messiah, but it didn't happen because he was human. He was still born of a man and woman coming together, even though the man and the woman, when they came together, was uh, infused with the Shekinah, the spirit of Hashem. So like Moses was literally born of the Shekinah, but via a mommy and daddy, as opposed to just the mom. So when Mashiach comes on the scene, Again, he's infused with the Shekinah just through the mom without the input of the man, which would keep him outside of sin. So Moses, even though he had a supernatural birth, he was still born in sin because of the seed of the man coming to meet the seed of the woman. But the seed of the woman without the seed of the man if you can have a child born just from that, that's going to be what's called a divine birth. So I know that's probably hard to kind of undertake and, uh, you know, digest and everything, but you just have to know that, believe that and trust that because that's the way Adam was born. So how are you going to say the second Adam is not born like that? Anyway, not that we need to argue about it, Moving on, it says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moshe, even over those who had not sinned in a manner similar to the violation of Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. There is a, a, a Talmud drop. I'm just going to source this hatred drop this. You know, I'm not going to give you the source on it, but it exists. And if you really need it, I can send it to you. But it says that there were individuals who lived, but yet they still died, even though they were, quote unquote, sinless. And the only reason they died was because of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which happened through Adam, i.e. they were still under death because death reigned from Adam until this point. One of those people is Benjamin, the brother of Joseph, like the youngest of Jacob's sons. He was one of them. Caleb was another one. Uh, David's father, Jesse, who is actually Yeshai. Um, yeah. And there, there are other individuals as well. But th those gentlemen in particular only died because of the sin of the serpent. Which was eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So anyway, just so you know, they were saying, well, they didn't sin like violating like Adam did, but they still died. And then it says, this is a pattern of the one to come. 
because Mashiach is not going to sin at all like these individuals. And yet he's still going to die, but he's going to live because he has to fulfill that judgment of death that was decreed upon us. So anyway, uh, so there's that. It says, but the gracious gift is not like the transgression. For if many died because of the transgression of one man, how much more did the grace of God overflow to many through the gift of one man? It's like, okay, so you have a man whose gift is sin and you have another man whose gift is grace, life. It's good. Which one is going to be more weighty? Going to go with life and goodness. So it says, this is Yeshua, the Messiah. Moreover, the gift is not like what happened through the one who sinned. So even more so, this gift can't even be compared to the gift that Adam gave us because this is on a whole nother level because when Mashiach gave us his gift, he gave it to us without sin. Adam gave us the gift of death with sin. So, Selah. It says, for on the one hand, the judgment from one violation resulted in condemnation. But on the other hand, the gracious gift flowing or following many transgressions resulted in justification. So Messiah, who knew no sin, became sin. So like he took on all those transgressions, even though he didn't commit them. By the way, that's one of the things about exotic is that they take on the sins of their generation and their death will bring atonement. And it's not that the exotic transgressed, but they took on the transgressions. So anyway, that there's a little drop on that. Lakute Maharon, uh, this from Rebbe Nachman. He brings a lot of things down about the exotic. So it also says, for if by the one man's transgression, death reigned through one through the one, how much more so shall those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in the life or in life through the one Mashiach Yeshua. So then. Through the transgression of one, condemnation came to all men. He's like, let's summarize this up. Likewise, through the righteousness of one came righteousness of life to all men. For justice through the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners. Also through the obedience of one man, many will be set right forever. So we tried at the garden. Didn't happen. We tried at Mount Sinai. Didn't happen. Here we go again with Mashiach, and now it's going to happen. So this is in the meantime what we're waiting on. And since it's in front of me this week as well, the upcoming Shabbat is called Shabbat Parah, which is the Shabbat of purification and atonement, all based off of Numbers 19, Bamibar chapter 19, about the red heifer. Because the red heifer is the one offering that actually brings atonement from death, purification from death even. 
So here's what it says in the Baahaturim. Baahaturim comments on Bamibar 19.9 on the phrase Ve'asaf, which is the same word that's the root of Yosef, by the way. So Messiah ben Yosef, here's that drop. Ready? The, the one who is going to suffer, but the one who is coming to gather all the exiles, to gather in the lost sheep. Yep, the lost sheep of Israel. I came not to serve, or came not to be served, but I came to serve. I came to gather in the lost sheep of Israel. That's all connected to this word that Baal Haturim is commenting on. So think about all that that Messiah taught us. It says, the Masoretic note, Gimel, means that this word appears three times in the Tanakh. It appears here in this verse, a pure man, ve'asaf ish tahor. And it says that a pure man shall gather. So was not the Messiah pure? Just saying. And it says, and the Metzorah shall gather, which is commonly translated as leper. But we won't talk about that right now because that's a mistranslation. Za'arat is not leprosy as we know it today, which is the word. A person who has Za'arat is called a Metzora. And that is from 2 Kings 5.11 that says the Ve'asaf Hamzora. And also in Yeshiyahu 11.12, and he will gather the castaways of Israel. Ve'asaf Nidche Yisrael. And he will gather the castaways of Israel. The similarity of expression here and in Kings alludes to the Talmudic statement, a Metzora is likened to a corpse. Moreover, just as the ashes of the red heifer impart purity, so too the prayers of the righteous impart purity. As seen in Moshe's prayer, Bamibar 12, 13, when he prayed for his sister Miriam, so she was purified goes on to say, and the similarity of expression in the three verses also allude to the time of Mashiach. And he will gather the castaways of Israel in the future, at which time the Medzora shall gather, i.e. will be cured as it is written. Az yedaleg ka'ayal pesach. Then the lame man will skip like a gazelle. Yeshiyahu 35, 6. Tankuma Medzora 2 says, this is a footnote. When the Holy One, blessed is he, said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed beyond, any, beyond every animal. Bereshit 3, 14, Genesis 3, 14. With what did he curse it? With Za'arat. The scales of the serpent are a form of Za'arat. Moreover, all those who are blemished will be healed in the world to come, but the serpent will not be healed of its Za'arat. And it is, as it is stated, you are cursed beyond every animal, from which we learn that everyone will be healed except the serpent. Regarding people, it is written, then the lame will skip like a gazelle and the eyes of the blind will be opened. Yeshiyahu 35, 6 and verse 5. And it says, similarly, regarding the beast and domestic animal, as it is written, wolf and lamb shall graze as one. Notice it doesn't say the lion is lying with the lamb. It says wolf and lamb. 
will graze as one, and lion, like cattle, will eat straw, but the serpent's food will be dirt. Yeshayahu 65.25 Back to Bahatorim. At that time, they will no longer need the ashes of the red heifer, as it is written, Bila Hamavit La Netzak. He will have swallowed up death forever. Yeshayahu 25.8 And then, obviously, Shaul repeats that, because why? He's a repeater. Swallow up death. And that is in Corinth. Queuing it up. Corinth. Uh, boom, 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 boom. Uh, let's see. Death swallowed. There it is. Chapter 15, Corinth 15, 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, i.e. when we get our light back, the mortal with immortality, when we get our clothes back, it says, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Bila hamavit lanedzak. Just so you know, the first letter of each of those uh, words in Hebrew, bet, hey, lament, rearranges to ha-lev, which is heart or the heart. What is known as the heart in Judaism, it literally is the Torah because the first letter of Torah is bet. The last letter of Torah is lev. So spell that backwards, lamed. Wow, I said the last letter is lev. The last letter of the Torah is Lamed. Okay, first letter is Bet. Last letter is Lamed. When you go Genesis to Deuteronomy. So Bereshit and Yisrael, those are the first and last words. The first letter of those words, spell it backwards, Lamed Bet is Lev. So the Lev literally is the Torah. And that's what swallows up death and victory. So the more Torah you get, the more eternal life you fill up with. Obviously, at some point, we're still going to die. Chasve uh, Shalom, that we have to go through that uh, before Mashiach arrives. I vote for let's be changed in the twinkling of an eye. So may that happen. May, may Hashem send Mashiach so death can be completely banished out. We'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. The dead are raised and all that good stuff. Amen. It says that uh, the ashes of the red cow serve only one purpose, to cleanse the impurity brought about through contact with a corpse. But in the days of the Messiah, God will swallow up, i.e. destroy the concept of death and its accompanying impurity. So this is why the more we go towards Messiah, grow in him, go growing towards righteousness, straining, pressing towards the high mark, if you will. The more we do that, we're actually swallowing up death. So the more we can refrain from sin, the more we can grow in righteousness and holiness and purity and things like that, which comes through the Torah. This is why sin is completely just ravaging believers today because no one's chewing up sin and swallowing it. And death, like death is not the sin, the death 
is not being swallowed up and chewing on the Torah. Sleek eyes said like chewing on sin. Don't chew on sin. Put that out. Spit that out. We did that in the garden. We did that with the golden calf. Stop. Okay. But we need to chew up the Torah. And as we chew up the Torah, we're going to swallow up death and victory. This is why you won't technically be sinless, but you will sin less. Okay. So that's important to know. Now, to kind of finish up what I'm talking about here, I will go into a second segment. So stand by. Okay, so now that we got all that, I want to go right into the Legends of the Jews. I'm going to start in uh, Volume 3, Section 2. I'm going to go all the way down to 47, and then I'm going to skip to 52. So I'll keep, keep us navigated. But here we go. Because in um, the Aliyah day on the first reading for Parsha Kitisa in 5780, Rabbi Griffin made this beautiful drive-by statement that we were all at Mount Sinai. And just so you know, like he obviously told the truth on that, but here's one of the sources on it. And also, uh, will Bezrat Hashem bring down Zohar and Shnei Lukot Abrit to close us out? Here we go. So it says the heavens opened and Mount Sinai freed from the earth rose into the air so that its summit towered into the heavens while a thick cloud covered the sides of it. Side note, if Mount Sinai is in the air, how in the world did Moshe climb it? I just want to just want to ask, just want to throw that out there. The mountains in the air, it's on fire. It's into the clouds. So did Moses fly up there? Did he teleport? Did he put on his Shomer man suit? <laughs> Come on and fly up there. I mean, I'm just saying he had to climb the mountain some way. But anyway, I digress. So the, uh, the thick cloud covered the sides of it and touched the feet of the divine throne. Okay, the clouds touched the feet of the divine throne. So literally when Moses goes up this mountain into Shemaim, he goes literally to the foot of the throne of Hashem, which is where the sapphire tablets that he brought down the first time that he had to break because we were dancing around the golden calf. They came from that very throne. So literally Moses was in heaven. Anyway, uh, he was there for 40 days three times. He also went to heaven. I don't know for how long when he was at the burning bush. That's where Memtet baptized him, if you will, into fire. Literally, Moses got turned into fire so that he could go to Hashem while he was in the burning bush. So at the burning bush, some kind of little dimensional travel happened over there. That's also in Legends of the Jews back during that section. That's in Parsha Shemot. Okay. So going on says, oh, the reason I brought that up is because I just want you to know Moses spent a lot of time in heaven, but he still came back to earth and he went back to heaven and came back to earth. So the whole who's gone up into heaven to bring down the Torah, who's rose up from the death and to bring up the Torah and all that kind of stuff. Like, OK, Moses went up into heaven, brought it down. And then Shaul in chapter 10 of this very letter that we're reading the letter of the romans he says 
That is to bring the law down, and that is Messiah. So Shaul clearly understands that the Torah that was brought down, the law of God, the word of God, the law of Moses, that is Messiah. Many people don't put those things together. And again, we need to. I mean, if we don't want to, then I guess we're fine with sickness, chaos, death, darkness, confusion in the world. I'm not okay with it. So I'm going to just go with what Shaul wrote. Messiah is the is the Torah. Okay. So it says, accompanying God on one side appeared 22,000 angels with crowns for the Levites, because there were 22,000 Levites, by the way. If you read in the book of Numbers, you'll find out the tribe of Levi was 22,000 members. So that's why they had 22,000 angels with the 22,000 crowns which, by the way, are the same crowns that we cast at Hashem's feet in the book of Revelation. So anyway, going on, says the only tribe that remained true to God while the rest worshipped the golden calf. Everybody worshipped the golden calf except the Levites. Shouts out to the Levites. Says the only tribe that remained true to God while the rest worshipped the golden calf on the second side were 60 myriads, which is thousands, thousands, by the way. So 60 thousands, thousands, 3,550 angels, each bearing a crown of fire for each individual Israelite. Double this number of angels was on the third side Whereas on the fourth side, they were simply innumerable. So 60 myriads is just the tip of the iceberg. Second of all, notice how there are angels on four sides of Hashem, just like we camped in the wilderness around Hashem, which is the tabernacle, because that's where the ark was, which is where the Torah was, which is the image of Hashem on the earth, i.e. the king of Israel, which is the son of God, all of that, we were camped on four sides of it in the wilderness. And if you took a bird's eye view, we looked exactly like the breastplate that was on the high priest when he went into the whole, well, when he went to minister in the temple. And that breastplate has the same gematria as Mashiach. So literally, when you think about the breastplate, you think about Mashiach, so bird's eye view of the camp in the wilderness as we're camped around the son of God, we were literally in Mashiach, which is being in Messiah. So Messiah's on the heart of the priest as he goes in to the temple to do the ministering. And also that's what we look like when we're in the wilderness. Going on, it says, for God did not appear from one direction. Well, it feels so bad for that group called One Direction right now. <laughs> God did not appear from One Direction. That is just absolutely insane. So God is not a trinity because that would be three sides. But it says God appeared not from One Direction, but from all four simultaneously. So now we need a quadrinity or something, whatever you want to call it. Because the Trinity means three sides, but God appeared from all four. So either we're telling God that he's wrong 
or we're wrong. So I'm going to go with we're wrong, and we should probably not do the Trinity thing. Anyway, uh, God appeared from all four sides simultaneously, which, however, did not prevent his glory from filling heaven as well as earth. This is why knowing that the fullness of God being in the Messiah did not deplete Hashem outside of creation. So when Messiah is praying to his father, praying to himself, basically, that, you know, that's not an issue because it's the fullness of Hashem dwelling in creation, but yet still not being depleted from the heavenlies and beyond because Hashem has to humble himself to acknowledge the heavens and the earth. Because other than that, he's beyond it. Sleeka. So he comes down on all four sides simultaneously. His glory still fills the heavens as well as the earth. It says, in spite of these innumerable hosts of angels, there was no crowding on Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, by the way, is a pretty good sized mountain. But compared to the mountains in the world, Mount Sinai is very, very small. Mount Everest would have probably been a better picture for this, but Hashem was like, no, I'm going to take a small mountain and I'm going to pack it out and it ain't going to be any crowding. Just the same way that during the pilgrimage festivals, which is Passover, Pesach, Shavuot, Pentecost, the festival of the weeks, uh, and then Sukkot, commonly known as the Feast of Tabernacles. During those festivals, we all come to the temple, all the men do from everywhere throughout the land of Israel. We pack out the temple and then there's still ample space for everybody to lay down and prostrate themselves before Shem, to like fall on our faces before God. So anyway, just, just so you know, it says there was no mob. There was no room or there was room for all the angels that appeared in the honor of Israel and the Torah. They had, however, at the same time received the order to destroy Israel in case they intended to reject the Torah. Goodness. If the mountain in the air hovering over the people and Hashem's like, I'm going to drop this mountain on you if you don't accept the Torah. But it's like, but we just said not saving Ishmael. So why you got to threaten us? It's like, I know, but you you accepted it. But I also have to give you the threat so they don't be like, well, you accepted it. And then you went back on your accepting. Like, I'm going to force you to accept it even though you've already accepted it. But if that doesn't work enough for you as well, I got all these angels over here that you can't even count. They ready to wipe you out too. But so I suggest you uh, do not reject my son because, you know, the son of God is the Torah. Who's the king of Israel. That's why we surround ourselves with Torah. We're, we surround the Torah. We follow the Torah. We, Bless Hashem through the Torah. You know, if you've been at Sar Shalom Synagogue, you see how we bow to the Torah and we kiss the Torah. We pay reverence and homage to it, just like we're going to pay reverence and homage to Messiah, where we're all going to bow before him and confess that Hashem is God. So point being that when we bow to the Torah, we're not saying that it's just this. We're like saying, no, we bless you, Hashem, because we know that the Torah and Hashem are one. Messiah and Hashem are one. So there's that. 
Going on, now we're jumping fast forward to section 52 in Legends of the Jews. It says, in order to convince Israel of the unity and uniqueness of God, he bade all nature stand still, that all might see that there is nothing beside him. When God bestowed the Torah, no bird sang, no ox lowed, no ophanim did not fly, or the ophanim did not fly, the seraphim uttered not their holy, 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 their kadosh, 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 Adonai Zebaot, Melokolaritz. They stopped that, which, by the way, they constantly proclaim that 24 7 even though there's not technically a 24-7 in Shemaim. So I don't know, really know how that works. But at this point, they didn't. They stopped. It was shut it down. This was like the on the record with the DJ, like bumping the record. Anyway, the sea did not roar. Think about the multitude of waves that exist in the ocean right now. Imagine all of them coming to a standstill. There is no current anywhere on earth right now. That's what happened at this point. This is all Mount Sinai stuff. And it says, no creature uttered a sound. All listened in breathless silence. I recall a passage in Revelation where it says there was silence for an hour. And uh, pastors in my past were saying like, yeah, and this is how we know there's no women in heaven. Which I don't know how they got away with that. But yeah, anyway. So that same silence that it, that we see in Revelation, that also happened in Exodus chapter 19. Just saying. So it says, breathless silence to the words announced by an echoless voice. Everybody say echoless voice. Echoless voice. Echoless voice. There was no sound from the echoless voice. Hashem spoke. Anoki, the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. That's what he spoke. When he spoke that, he spoke in all the languages. So he spoke in tongues. He spoke with fire and lightning and thunder and a shofar blast. And the Anoki word means I wrote myself down and gave it to you. So like the word that became flesh, the word that is the spirit. So here's a source that shows you that the spirit of God literally is the word of God, because God says, I am my word. I am my spirit, my spirit, my essence is in the word. So if you really want to walk by the spirit, you walk in the word of God. Literally is that simple. Again, there's a religion that exists that overcomplicates everything to the point that you really just don't know what their source is for anything. What's your source for the Sabbath being moved to Sunday? We're literally in the Bible. Does it tell us that? Silence. Okay. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, the words as well as, or these words, as well as the others made know by God on Mount Sinai made known by God on Mount Sinai. were not heard by Israel alone, but by the inhabitants of all the earth. So you can't be like, well, what about the remote person on the island? Da, 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 da. It's like, no, no, no. They they heard and by the way, they heard in their language. So if their language was Klingon, they heard Hashem in Klingon 
on that remote island that no one ever knew about that is undiscovered till this day. They heard it. So everybody has heard this word. The divine voice divided itself into the 70 tongues of men so that all might understand it. This is why Acts chapter 2 is very, very crucial because that's what happened there. Everybody's speaking in tongues. This is why speaking in tongues is one of the gifts of the spirit because everybody has to hear the word of God. Because why? We were all created from it. And God is God over all creation. So whichever one of those you want to go with. And it says, but whereas Israel could listen to the voice without suffering harm. The souls of the heathens, the non-Jews, almost fled from them when they heard it. When the divine voice sounded, all the dead in Sheol, the place of the dead, were revived. So when Mashiach raised Lazarus, who, by the way, is Eliezer, I'm just saying he was speaking with the voice of God because when the voice of God speaks to the dead, they wake up. Or when Messiah went into the room with his Talmudim and and the mother and the father and he closed the door and he said, little girl, wake up. Yeah, she woke up just like everybody woke up that was in the place of the dead. So any everybody who had passed away before Mount Sinai, they all woke up and it says and betook themselves to Sinai. So wherever Sheol is, they were like, it's time to go to Mount Sinai right now. Everybody, let's go. And it says, for the revelation took place in the presence of the living as well as of the dead. Yea, even the souls of those who were not yet born. By the way, podcasters, that's you and I. Listeners, that's you and I. So we were all there. And it says, every prophet, every sage received at Mount Sinai his share of the revelation, which in the course of history was announced by them to mankind. The prophet uh, Malachi, who was the one of the last prophets, or the last prophet, actually. Some say Malachi was Mordecai, so there's that to take into consideration. But anyway, he, he had the longest duration, like he... He was at Mount Sinai and then he didn't prophesy to like the last thing in the what's commonly known as the Old Testament. But we know it's the Tanakh. So anyway, he was the last prophet. So that whole time frame, it wasn't until he came on the scene that he shared what he re- heard at Mount Sinai. So, you know how there's this thing where in creation, when you really read the Genesis account from the the Torah, the oral Torah, that is, you understand everything for creation was made on day one, but it was slowly revealed over time. This is why some people call it the separation account. So everything that needed to exist in creation was already there. Like literally the dirt that we were formed from for day six was created on day one. So it had to be revealed like the light had to come. 
to dispel the darkness and then the waters had to separate and the land had to come up and then the vegetation had to sprout then the luminaries had to come out then the the sea creatures and then the air creatures and the land creatures and then oh mankind so it all unfolded out over time so literally the time frame that we see is linear it's just unfolding out but everything is already here you know so understanding time not being linear like it's just playing out so to speak this is why no one knows the day or the hour because it's already determined for when is going to be the day of Hashem. When is the redemption going to happen? It's just we're playing it out. It's already set and it's working on being revealed and the redemption happens like sunrise. So it's slowly being revealed. This is why it's, again, so important for us to continue to be people who are gathering in divine sparks people who are going out on the great commission it says all heard indeed the same words the same but the same voice corresponding to the individuality of each so we all hear the same words and the voice is according to individual so Whatever is the easiest voice for you to hear the word of God in, that's where he speaks. This is why Moses heard the sound of his father at the burning bush. This is why Samuel heard the voice of Eli and uh, that whole story at the, the tabernacle. And so there you go. Okay, it says uh, I had a, a friend, a co-worker of mine who said, you know, he met the Nordic, uh, Viking God. And that person was speaking to him and saying, fulfill, you know, your purpose, which was interesting because it's like Hashem was using the voice that was familiar to this, my friend to speak to him. He, he's like, yeah, I know that guy. That's the, this such and such God. And it's like, Hmm. Okay. So who who does your God follow? Who created your God kind of thing? I didn't really say all this, but just thinking in the concepts of how how can how can this individual get this message I need to send to him? Well, let me give it to him right here. Now, that's kind of a tricky thing to say because it's like, well, so how can why can't we have people dance around a, a Xmas tree or have the bunny rabbit with the eggs and let God speak to them through there? It's like, no. It's the words and the voice. So, you know, not putting yourself into paganness and idolatry. So for my coworker, this is an opportunity for him to understand Hashem, not his deity that he's proclaiming the, the divinity to. So. Anyway, we could talk about more about that, but I just wanted to bring up the point of Hashem using the voice that is uh, corresponding to the individual, like the, the way we can hear him. And it says, this is God's way of speaking with them. So it says, and as the same voice sounded differently to each one, so did the divine vision appear differently to each one. Another coworker was talking about a, a meme where it says, my God looks like me. And it had the different things. It's like, yeah, because the vision is according to the individual. So yeah, there's that. God is one. He has one voice. He has one message. There's one baptism or one mikvah, one true faith, one covenant. 
but it's according to the individual. So the easiest way for us to grasp onto that singularity, how is Hashem doing it? Anyway, it says, uh, wherefore God warned them not to ascribe the various forms to various beings. Again, so back to my coworker who saw this Nordic uh, Viking God. Don't ascribe the glory to that particular deity. Ascribe it to Hashem. But Hashem was appearing to you with the voice and the form that would be easiest for him to grasp. So that's just amazing, by the way. Uh, anyway, it says, do not believe that because you have seen me in various forms, there are various gods. I am the same that appeared to you at the Red Sea as a god of war and as Sinai as a teacher. Hashem is literally the epitome of jack of all trades. Zohar Kedoshim 8, section 63. When Adam came into the world, the sun and the moon saw him and their light was dimmed. The heel of the foot of Adam darkened their light. For what reason? Because he is derived from the doings of the supernal sun and moon. So there's that. However, when he sinned, he became dark. Again, remember that first Peter two, nine verse called you out of darkness because it says when he sinned, he became dark and reduced himself and needed another body with skin and flesh. This is why our bodies are going to be changed, just like we just read about in Corinth. Uh, chapter 15, that we're going to have to get new bodies. We're going to have to take off this mortality and put on immortality because Adam had to take off immortality and put on mortality. So we're going to be doing the opposite. I mean, maybe sooner in our days. Uh, skin and flesh, as it is written, Bereshit 321, for the man also and his wife did Hashem Elohim make coats of skin. Zohar Pincus 41. In the language of genetics, the actual... Sexual connection between the vessel and the serpent, the vessel being Adam and Eve. So when the serpent caused the vessel, which is Adam and Eve, to sin, which was likened to a sexual act, which is why when we are idolatrous, it literally is adultery, adultery. So when Israel committed idolatry with other gods, Hashem was like, why have you been adulterous to me? So anyway, so that. So when these two intermingled, it said it altered, altered the vessel's DNA from desire to receive into a more selfish desire to receive for the self alone. So we used to want to receive for the sake of receiving, but now we want to receive for the sake of being selfish. It says, consequently, every cell, which is our souls in the cosmic body of Adam and Eve, because remember, they were cosmic. They were like literally the epitome of like what Marvel is talking about with these celestials. So like Adam and Eve were like super big. They were cosmic beings and their cells were our souls, which is the DNA of their bodies. So it says this DNA recombined with the DNA of consciousness of the serpent. So we went from cosmic, divine, amazing Hashem stuff to like, now we're going to be about whatever the serpent was about, which is the knowledge of good and evil, which is a mix of good, mix of evil, but I want everything for myself. So that's what happened to us. I.e., this is the gift that we were given through the one who transgressed. And it says, the vessel 
which is Adam and Eve, then shattered, their, their cosmic being shattered, it exploded, like what happened with the people who touched the power stone, they eventually just exploded. It says they shattered into individual souls. These countless sparks of souls descended into this very physical world and assumed the garment of physical bodies. This is why gathering the divine sparks is a thing. Gathering everybody into the Messiah is a thing because we're going to remake the cosmic body. That's why Tower of Babel was the opposite of that because they're like, no, we don't want to make Mashiach. We want to make ourselves. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to be selfish. And it's like but with Messiah, we're, called, we're building the Tower of Salvation because it's all about Hashem. And when it's all about Hashem, it's all about everybody because Hashem is a God. He unifies us and allows us to come into this beautiful place. It says, they were then empowered with the task of eradicating negative consciousness from their nature, i.e. taking off the old, putting on the new, and reuniting all the scattered halves of the one fractured soul into one unified whole. This is why Messiah is called a body of many members. So we all have to be back in Messiah because that's the only way to become Kadosh, which is holy, the only way to become righteous which will be making us immortal again. Back to the cosmic being that we used to be. And that's all of us together. Thus, the dark and egocentric aspect of human nature was born from this sexual union between the vessel and the serpent. All of our negative behavior, egotistic character traits, jealousies, jealousies etc. are rooted in, the, in this original sin. Oh, snap. Zohar just dropped original sin. Zohar Pincus 41. <clears throat> uh, correcting this seed of all sins is the holy covenant that Pincus was zealous for. What covenant did Hashem give to Pincus? It's called the Brit Shalom, which is the covenant of peace, which is an everlasting covenant. And this is why Messiah is called the Prince of Peace. He's the one who gathers us into that same covenant. Pincus was zealous for that covenant. It was given to him. And so when we convert, we become a part of this same covenant. So if you don't want to be Jewish, you don't want to be a part of the covenant of Shalom. That is eternal and everlasting. Last thing uh, from the Zohar, and then we'll finish up with Shanae Lukot and we're done. We're out. Okay. Zohar Kitisa 11, section 105. Come and behold, before Adam sinned, he ascended and stood in the wisdom of the supernal light, which is Mashiach, and was not separated from the tree of life, which is immortality, when his desire to know good and evil and to go down became strong, he was attracted to the other side, commonly known as the Sitra Akra, the other side of holiness, which is like anti-holiness and like as much as you want to think about it. Whatever is not holy, go there. That's what Adam became attracted to. Until he separated from the tree of life, knew evil and good, abandoned good. And it says, so when he separated from the tree of life, he now knew evil, he abandoned good. It says, therefore, it is written, for you are not an El, which is God, that has pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. Tehillim 5.5 5. The one who is drawn after evil cannot reside with the tree of life. 
This is why if you really want to be a part of sin and you don't want any of that Jewish stuff, that Torah law of Moses stuff, then guess what? You cannot dwell with Hashem. Telling five, five Psalms five, five. One who is drawn after evil cannot reside with the tree of life. Evil, by the way, is substituting truth for for falsehood. So the Sabbath is not on the seventh day of the week. It's now on the first day of the week. The the uh, celebrating the festivals of Hashem. Nope, we're going to celebrate these man-made festivals that are all about idolatry. That literally is the definition and example of evil. Substitute truth for lies. And it says, before they sinned, they heard a voice from above, from Bina, which is Jerusalem above, as is written in Galatians 4, Sarah. And it says, they heard a voice from there and knew supernal wisdom and were not afraid. But after they sinned, they were not able to endure the lower voice of male and female, as it is written, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. Bereshit 310. Interestingly enough, when Hashem spoke at Mount Sinai, we also were afraid and told Moses, tell Hashem to quit talking to us and you go talk to him and then tell us what he said. Shanae Lukota Brit from Shebekatav Chayesera Torah Or. Original man, as we have said, was created from earth, from all parts of the globe, taken from the site of the altar Whereas when he died, wound up in the cave of Machpelah, since from where he could ascend to the heavenly regions, rising ever higher. Only the creator knows which site on earth is suitable to create man from, knows which site on earth is suitable or and which is suitable for his burial and transfer to paradise. Garden of Eden. Gone Eden. Adam contained elements of all mankind. When a person dies, Adam becomes visible to that person, seeing he is a branch of him. So, again, we were all there when when Adam ate the fruit. So to blame Adam for eating from the tree, it's like, no, we did. We told Adam to eat from the tree because we wanted to. So he did. It's all our fault. Anyway, everyone's, by the way, thinking, Kepha, how could you deny Yeshua three times? What's wrong with you? Guess what? Every time we sin, we deny Yeshua. Ouch. Okay. Um, when Hashem was right there, mountain floating in the air, angels all over the place, voices, lightning, shofar blast, we made a golden calf. It's like, seriously, guys? It's like, no, but remember, we were all there. Even the dead were raised and they were there. We still made a golden calf and was like, whatever. It's like, so you mean to tell me in all this majesty, you're going to go out and do that? Same thing with Adam in the garden, same thing with Israel at the mountain, same thing with Kepha denying Yeshua, same thing with us every single day with all the trials and tribulations we have to overcome. Okay, everyone's burial site should contain some connection with original man. However, physically distant it might be from either the original altar or the cave of Machpelah, every person will benefit in some way from the example of Adam to the degree of such benefit depending on his individual merit. The point is that just as Adam incorporated part of all mankind when he came into being, so he has something common, something in common with every human being when that human being dies. 
Last paragraph. Our sages have said that the souls of the righteous are offered as a sacrifice on the celestial altar, i.e. the heavenly temple, the place where Yeshua went and offered himself. And it says this statement, the Hebrews passage about Messiah offering his blood in the not the copy, but like the actual temple that that's right here in the Shanae Lukot Habrit. This statement is what is meant when the Talmud describes the time when the daily morning offering was offered in the temple. Wow. So when we offer up the morning lamb, that's when the sacrifice of the the souls of the righteous is happening on the altar in the heavenly temple, which, by the way, still exists now. And we're waiting on it to come down to earth. I mean, this, okay, says... Yoma 28, Tractate of Talmud, describes how it was determined whether the sky had become sufficiently light in order to proceed with the offering. <laughs> so when is it time to offer the morning lamb? It says the lookout watched in the direction of Hebron, which is where the cave of Machpelah is, by the way, the place where you enter into paradise, says when the time was right, called out Barkai. Matya ben Shamuel would then query once more if the entire eastern sky was already lit up. And the lookout would respond, yes. The lookout towards Hebron was important because Adam Harishon, the first Adam, who had been taken from the site of his atonement, the earthen altar was buried there. From there, he has his return to the site of the altar in the heavenly regions for his soul to be a sacrifice. So basically what that's saying, the only way we know it's time to offer the morning lamb is when Adam goes up to the heavenly temple to offer his soul on the heavenly altar and the heavenly altar. So the temple in Shemaim. So when Messiah, who is the evening lamb, which is the, the finish and conclusion of the service. So when he goes up to offer himself, he's doing that same thing. So maybe soon in our days that we see the return of Messiah, the rebuilding of the temple, the heavenly temple descending, the new Jerusalem, the resurrection of the dead, hearing the shofar blast, brought out of exile into the final redemption, maybe soon in our days. This has been a Garrett to the Romans, chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam. Asher natan lanu Torah temet, vechaye olam natabeto kenu, baruch atah Adonai, noten ha Torah.